Well, good evening, Clifford Baptist Church. Glad to have you here tonight. Those of you streaming with us, thank you so much for being with us for a final lesson in our study through God's Word. We tonight arrive at Lesson 32, which is our last lesson in this study. For those of you streaming with us, I have some kind of bad news, but also some good news. Uh, The next study that we do is going to be highly interactional and based on discussion. So I do not think we're going to be having a streaming service on Wednesday nights for a while till we go through that study, maybe come back online in the next study. But that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Uh, If you would like to maintain a study with us, uh, go to our website, cliffordbaptist.org, go to the media tab, and there is a wealth of study materials there, all kinds of sermons, all kinds of the books of the Bible, sermons by Pastor Clyde, Pastor Jeffrey, myself. So you can continue to study with us through all of our media uh, on the, uh, online through cliffordbaptist.org. So please do join us for that, and uh, we'll be back online with another study that is more like this pulpit study that we've been through in these days. But tonight we do uh, come to Lesson 32. We are going to look at the final step of God's Word, the book of the Revelation. So take your Bible, turn with me to that final book of the Bible. And as we get turned there, hearts directed, ready to study, let's have a word of prayer together. Our Lord, our God, thank you that we are in your house tonight. And whether we're here in person or whether we're joining by streaming or FM signal in the parking lot, Father, thank you that we are together. uh, And we are one congregation. Though we might be in different locations, we are one family in the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the church members who join us. Thank you for our visitors. Thank you for the other churches represented as uh, those join us tonight for this study. We pray your blessing upon it. Lord, Revelation is known as the book of blessing, and we will study that tonight, and we know we will be blessed because we open your word. So, Father, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you walk with us, that you give us life through the cross and through the empty tomb of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us tonight. We know that your banner over us is love, and we're grateful to join together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we begin this study of the final book of the Bible and the final step of our mountaintop view uh, through God's Word, we get to the book of Revelation. A tremendous study for me personally as I've studied through the high points of God's Word and this thread of love that runs through uh, God's holy Word, His love letter to us. Uh, As we begin a look at Revelation tonight, we start on this point, Genesis began our study in lesson number one, uh, the creation of the universe, the creation of a special people of God called Israel, uh, the book of beginnings. The entirety of God's word, the entirety of the Bible is an unbroken thread of God's love, God's fidelity, God's loyalty to the people who belong to him. Now, as you read through the Bible, you will find out that we on the human side have our ups and our downs, uh, our victories and our failures, uh, but we know that God never wavers in his faithfulness to us. That's the thread that runs throughout the entirety of the 
the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God never forsakes, God never leaves his own, but he is faithful to us. Uh, from the nation of Israel to all people of all nations through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, of course, you know that the book of the Revelation is the conclusion of the Bible as God uh, closes the history that he began in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is the book of beginnings. Revelation is the book of endings. Uh, and the final word is this. God will love and keep his people for all eternity. That is the culmination of God's word, that he wants to keep us who belong to him, and everyone has the opportunity to belong to him through the Savior. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, but every person on earth should hear the gospel of Jesus and have the opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior. So as we begin, let's start with this basic question. Where did the book of the Revelation come from? Well, as we look at that, uh, let's see how this letter came to be. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1 and look at verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11, first chapter. Of course, you know that the author of Revelation is old John the disciple, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, the same one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is also the author of Revelation. So as we look at verses 9 through 11, it says this, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. So, John the disciple is given an assignment by God while he is on an island called Patmos. So, the Apostle John had outlived all of the other original disciples, and we've talked about that right now. Currently, on Sunday mornings, we're going through the Gospel of John, those of you who are streaming with us tonight. If you haven't done so, I would invite you, if you're not a part of a church family, join with us this coming Sunday morning as we continue on in the Gospel of John. But he had outlived all the original disciples and he had been exiled to a prison island in the Aegean Sea called Patmos. He was put there because he was a preacher of the gospel. He was a, a witness of Jesus Christ. Now Patmos, that island, was barren, desolate, rocky, lonely, about 10 miles long, 6 miles wide in the Aegean Sea. It was the Alcatraz of John's day and on that island John says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day he was a prisoner there as far as we know he was totally by himself he never refers to any other company humanly on that island but he says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day which is Sunday the day of resurrection now that does not mean when it says I was in the spirit does mean that it does not mean that he was sleeping it does not mean that he was dreaming but rather, John the disciple in that moment was ushered into the presence of God Almighty. And God gives him instruction, as we see in these two verses, 9 through 11, uh, that, that 
he was to write down what he sees and send it to the seven churches of Asia. So this book is written by the old disciple John, probably about 95 A.D., maybe a little earlier than that. Uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John was written toward 95 to 98 A.D. Uh, so the Gospel of John was written first. The Revelation was written second by John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John were the last letters that he wrote that we have in our New Testament tonight. Let me give you just a brief overview of what Revelation is about. My prayer is that as we go through this overview, that it will uh, inspire you to study this book. Uh, this is called the Blessing Book. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But as we look at this tonight, I pray that you have the inspiration to follow uh, in studying this book and uh, seeing how God speaks to us through it on a deeper level. All right, let's back up a little farther. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as we break open the book tonight. Revelation 1, beginning with verse 1, says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, Revelation is the only book of the Bible that's called the blessing book. Although I believe that the blessing that we see in Revelation is true of all the books, I believe it's true of every book that we read in, that God will specifically bless us as we read and internalize his word. But this is the, this is the one book that tells us outwardly, you'll be blessed. You will be blessed of God if you read this specific word. Verse 3 says it. Look again at verse 3. There's a lot of truth packed in these three verses. We'll refer to them often tonight. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So you and I, tonight, whether you're here in person, out in a parking lot, listening by an FM signal, streaming with us tonight online, uh, as we look at the introduction of this book, it promises us that we will automatically be blessed of God as we immerse ourselves in these precious words. That's the reason for the study, that we open his word and find his blessing there. Now, as we begin tonight, if you're taking notes, this is very important. The book of Revelation has three major points of the book. And we need to nail that down at the outset of this study, the three major overarching points of the book of the Revelation. Point number one, there is one central personality in this book. You know who it is. It is Jesus the Christ. Uh, it reminds me of a little story. A little boy came to Children's Church, and the leader of Children's Church said, Children, I want to ask you a question. What's gray, furry, has a tail, and runs through the trees? One little boy lifted up his hand. He said, sounds like a squirrel, but it's got to be Jesus. Well, we know that tonight the centerpiece of Revelation is indeed Jesus Christ. He is the obvious, main, and central person of the book. You will also notice this. You don't have to go around correcting people, but this is not called Revelations. It is not in the plural. It is Revelation. 
because there is one revelation. It is the revelation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So it is in the singular because Jesus is the central character of the book. It is the unveiling of him. Now, within this book, we learn so much about the character of our Savior, our God, Jesus Christ. If through this study we don't better understand Jesus' love and his kingship and his judgment and his glory, then we've missed the point of what Revelation is all about. It's unveiling the Savior uh, in a deeper way. We understand him through the Gospels, but we understand him more deeply through the book of the Revelation. The word Revelation in Greek is apokalupsos. And it literally means to uncover, to unveil, to show that which was hidden. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, unveil Jesus in his first coming. They unveil his humiliation as a Savior. They unveil his humanity, born in a manger, walking the soil of earth, literally as a human being, going to the cross, raising, being raised from the grave. And so we see that as his humiliation his servanthood is unveiled in the gospels but revelation unveils his exaltation as the lord god almighty Uh, we see jesus in a completely different light as we see the book of revelation Uh, the gospel show jesus going to a cross to die revelation shows us jesus coming to earth to reign eternally to take us home So tonight we're going to see Jesus in a a different light than we see him in the unveiling of the Gospels. Uh, In Jesus' first coming, he was on his knees before a cross. In Jesus' second coming, Pontius Pilate will be on his knees before him. Jesus absolutely is the king. Uh, Write down the reference of Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Now, that does not mean in Philippians that everyone is going to be universally saved, that one of these days all the demons and all the unsaved people will finally fall to their knees and everybody's universally going to be saved. That's not what it says at all. All will acknowledge him but a remnant will be saved, the, one who, the ones who gave him faith and uh, trust in these days, giving him our life as Savior and Lord. So again, the, the entire book of Revelation revolves around Jesus, point number one. Here's point number two. Uh, there is a clear purpose of the book, and uh, the, the world misses this purpose, but I want you to hear it. It's in the first three verses as the book opens up, and that is God wants his servants to understand the future. Not the world as a whole, but his servants to understand the future. Look at verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So, it's not a universal unveiling of the future, but rather it is to the servants and the saved of Jesus Christ. That is the the address to whom the letter is to go, to the saved servants of Jesus Christ. Only God knows what the future really holds. The devil does not know. Future uh, fortune tellers do not know uh, what the future holds. No human truly knows what tomorrow will bring. No human knows the future of the world. You know, psychic hotlines on TV, they're trash. If you watch them, turn them off. 
uh, horoscopes in the Bible. They are worthless. Uh, predictions who are going to win a re- an election, worthless. Predictions are just that, predictions. Uh, where the stock market's going to go, it's just a prediction. There's nothing of, that, uh, of substance in that. Uh, in fact, weather forecasts, nothing but predictions. How true in these mountains that the weather can change just like that. My mother used to say little boys that lie grow up to be weathermen. I'll never forget her saying that. But only God, only God. I hope George Flickinger is not watching us tonight, but... At any rate, only God, only God knows the future, and Revelation is God's instrument to unveil the future to us. This is the book that tells us what is going to happen in our future. But I do want you to notice this and and make sure it's nailed down in your mind. It's only for the servants of God. The world will not understand it. The world is not meant to understand it. It is to be understood by those who belong to the Lord. Uh, the Greek word for servant, as you see it here, is douloi. It means a person who has been purchased off the, the, uh, the block of sin, the one who has been purchased out of slavery to sin and freed by the gift of Jesus Christ. As a slave was purchased off the block years ago, it was by money. Not true for us. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus off the block of slavery to sin. And we're thankful to know that indeed we belong to him because of his purchase and his sacrifice on our behalf. Uh, his currency is his blood. There is no money involved. It is by him very, very much laying down his life for us. Through the blood and through our faith, we belong to him. We are douloi. We are servants bought with a price. So if you really want to understand Revelation, you have to be saved. You have to be a servant. You have to belong to him, surrender to him. And it's here in the book. The unsaved world might be enthralled with the book uh, and entertained by the book, but it is not intended to show them the truth. It is to the servants of God. Okay, point number one, Revelation unveils the glory of Jesus Christ. Point number two, it is God's word, God's future unveiled to his servants, to his saved people. Uh, And I also want you to notice this about God's future as you read verse 1 again. Revelation tells us things of God which must come to pass. Uh, It says these things come to pass shortly. Now, shortly does not mean immediately. But the word shortly here, that these things must come shortly, means they will come quickly. They will come like the twinkling of an eye, suddenly. Jesus over and over says, be ready, be ready. I'm warning you, be ready for the coming. Uh, My coming is going to happen quickly. It's going to come without a warning. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Uh, You can see Matthew 24, verses 36 through 42, as Jesus describes his coming. He's coming shortly. He's coming quickly. He's coming where every decision is going to be nailed down exactly where it is in the moment that he comes. There's not going to be time for a U-turn or another decision, but he's going to come so quickly, so suddenly, that every decision is going to be nailed down right where it is in our human hearts. Point number three. As we see this point, the prophecy of Revelation cannot be changed, it cannot be altered, and it cannot be stopped. So... That is a very important point of this book. What we see written here is written in stone on God's calendar, God's timetable, and there is no force in the universe that's going to alter it, change it, 
or stop it. This is a sure revelation and a sure history, uh, rather a sure future coming to us. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, the time is at hand. What does that phrase mean? That means that the second coming of Jesus Christ in glory is going to happen. Uh, John did not write this book to say that Jesus is immediately coming. He wrote that 2,100 years ago. He didn't immediately come since Revelation has been written. But Jesus' coming is imminent, and it is sure, it is certain to happen. There is no changing it, and there is a set time. You know, history is not wandering around, and God is one day going to, in our, in our human minds, going to wake up and say, I think today's the day. Absolutely not. The date, the time, the second, the moment of Jesus' coming is on the calendar of divinity. It is on God's calendar. It is imminent. It is sure. He is coming again. Just as surely as he came to a manger, surely he's coming back for us. That's how sure it is, and we know that's true. The book of Revelation, I believe, describes what happens to the earth after Jesus calls his church, his bride, to heaven in the rapture. Uh, the church is very evident. If you read through the book of Revelation, my prayer is you will do that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I can't tell you in some section, it is not pleasure reading, but it is the truth of God. But as we see chapters 1 through 3, we see that the church is very evident. When in chapter 1, God tells John, write down what you see, send this message to the seven churches of Asia Minor. He names the churches to, to, to whom this letter is to go. Then in chapters 2 and 3 are literally the letters that John wrote to those seven churches. So in chapters 1 through 3, we see the church is absolutely the center point of everything that's going on here. The letters about Jesus Christ and his will and his love and his retribution and his correction and his judgment. All of that is in chapters 1 through 3. Right to the churches in 2 and 3, the churches receive the letters. After chapter 3, when chapter 4 opens, the church is never mentioned again. And I believe that that is indicative of the fact that as Jesus comes again, the church is going to be going on to heaven, on to glory, in the rapture uh, before the tribulation begins. So this is a pre-tribulationist theology. There are different ways that people express the tribulation and where the church is. I am, and I'm going to teach this as a pre-trib. I believe that the church is taken out of here before the great tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, ever begins. Uh, Adrian Rogers put it this way. He said, you put salt in meat to preserve it. We are called the salt of the earth. But when you take the salt out of the meat, the meat then starts to rot. In the same way, when the salt of the earth is taken out, that's where the rot sets in. That's where the tribulation begins. So I kind of like the way Adrian said it. Uh, but as the church is drawn out, we see in the book of Revelation that the, church, that the world will go through seven years of great tribulation. Huge punishment. I also want to remind you, though, that during those seven years, unnumbered multitudes come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the, a witnessing force that surrounds the world. You need to read the book of the Revelation. 
Uh, at the end of those seven years, time as we know it is going to close, and all will be under the reign of God and His kingdom. The final judgment at the end of the revelation, the final judgment takes place. Heaven and hell is going to be finalized in their population, and eternity will begin as, as, uh, as uh, the full revelation of heaven and hell. Joy for the saved, that is eternal. Damnation for the lost, that is also eternal. Uh, now let me say this as we read the Gospels. If you look in the Gospels, you see paradise and Hades, for example. Of course, the saved go to paradise as Jesus promised the thief on the cross uh, in Luke chapter 23. Today you will be with me in paradise, that thief that came to him as Savior. And also when you see uh, the account of the rich man and Lazarus, which by the way I believe is an actual account of actual human beings. In a parable, there's never a person named. And yet we see that name of Lazarus uh, in this account from Jesus in Luke chapter 16. And it says that the rich man who had rejected Christ goes to Hades. So paradise and Hades, they're not the full revelation of, of heaven and hell yet. But this I believe, and I believe that Revelation bears it out. The moment a person closes his or her eyes in earthly death, the moment the last breath is drawn, the moment a departure comes, that person knows whether or not they're spending their eternity in heaven or hell. The beginning is paradise and Hades. They are finalized when the judgment comes and the end of the revelation comes. Uh, so I want you to understand that, that we're not talking about a gray area uh, of waiting and where am I going to go, but according to the Bible, you will know the moment you die that you're saved, that you're heaven-bound. That's also true for the lost, that they are separated from God. Well, as we look at that study tonight, uh, we know that the, the total message of Revelation is how the earth is going to close its history, how God is going to draw the earth to a close. Uh, read it as you see those seven years drawn out, uh, and of course they, they get more intense as you go through, uh, but we see God as the victor, as the one who reigns, and, the, and Jesus Christ as the one who carries us as his people for all eternity. But tonight, as, uh, as we are looking toward the end of this study, I want to give you nine points about the unfolding picture of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. So again, if you take notes, this is a good spot for you to take these notes. Nine points about the picture of Jesus. Here's point number one. It is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, and it says that Jesus is one like unto the Son of Man. You know, it had been some 60 years since the old disciple John had seen Jesus in human form walking uh, the shores of the of the Sea of Galilee, walking the streets of Jerusalem. But in Revelation, as John sees him now, Jesus is in his glorified state. So while Jesus still looks like the one who was born in Bethlehem and the, the man that John knew when he was 30 to 33 years old, while he does look like his earthly uh, incarnation, yet while he looked like the one born in Bethlehem, he's different. Because in Revelation, he is dazzling, and he is radiant, and he is shining with God's glory in his resurrected state. 
So he looks like the earthly Jesus. He, he appears like unto the Son of Man, but he is entirely different because of his resurrected, dazzling, glorified state. Here's point number two about Jesus as the picture unfolds. Also in chapter 1, verse 13, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. So point number two about the picture of Jesus is his clothing. His clothing in heaven is a long robe with a golden band that is around his chest. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the actual English word is his breasts, his mastos in Greek. Uh, so the golden band is on his upper chest. Uh, this is the clothing of power. This is not the clothing of the servant of Jesus on the cross, but rather it is the clothing uh, of glory. This is the mighty God who conquered sin, who scored a knockout over Satan, and who, who holds the keys of heaven and hell. Uh, this is the mighty God dressed in a mighty way. Point number three, as the picture unfolds about Jesus Christ, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Well, think back about what the human incarnated Jesus would look like. He was Jewish. Jewish people, of course, are darker of skin, certainly darker of hair. So Jesus had very dark hair in his earthly time here, we know. And yet now it says his head, his hair was white like wool, white as snow. Here's one way we know the glorified Jesus was very different from the Jesus of Nazareth. Um, but his white hair in glory speaks about righteousness and purity. Uh, and of course, you know, he is the one who earned our salvation. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our, of our adoration and our glory uh, because he's the one who earned our salvation through the cross. Well, some people say that when you have whiter hair, you earn that hair through a longer life and through uh, the, the experiences of life. But Jesus earned that hair like wool, white as snow, because he went to the cross for us. Uh, and he is mighty God. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 gives us a clue to this verse. Write that reference down. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. It says this. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So in the reference that we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 13, we also see a reference back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, as we see white as snow and the reference of wool right there. Again, the Old Testament and the New Testament are tying together in the picture of what the Son of God looks like. This is the unblemished Lamb of God, so pure that His whiteness can erase the redness, the stain of sin. Point number four. In the book of Revelation, it is in chapter 1, verse 14. His eyes were as a flame of fire. In other words, Jesus' vision can penetrate any heart, any life. He knows exactly who we are and where we are in our own lives. Uh, we certainly know that is true. One of my favorite psalms is uh, Psalm 139. But in Psalm 139, verse 1, it says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. His eyes can penetrate any life. His eyes penetrate the heart. 
He knows a word before it comes to our tongue. That's also in Psalm 139. He knows everything about us. Emotionally, he knows where we are, where we struggle. Physically, he knows where we are, being uh, whether we're in good health or whether we're struggling in some way health-wise. The penetrating eyes of God through Jesus Christ knows everything about us. So tonight, truly, every person stands completely unveiled before him. If you want to use the word naked, we stand before him that way because he knows every single thing about every single cell of our body and our being. Uh, We are fully exposed before his eyes. Here's point number five about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's in chapter 1, verse 15. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Feet as brass means that when he comes again, he will not be stopped. This is an image of the uh, unstoppable character of Jesus Christ. He will not be hindered. Uh, it, there's a reference back to the Old Testament, the prophecy of Daniel. Uh, brass symbolizes a strong army or armor or the conqueror. So as Daniel describes that in his prophecy, Revelation always also bears that out uh, in the picture of Jesus as feet of brass, meaning when he comes to us, there is nothing in the universe that's going to be able to stop or hinder his coming in his feet of brass. No army, no weapon, not Satan himself can stop Jesus' second coming. Uh, also in the Old Testament, brass symbolizes judgment. Uh, And Jesus will undeniably judge unbelievers and scoffers and the unsaved. Point number six of the unveiling of Jesus Christ is in chapter 1, verse 15. His voice as the sound of many waters. Jesus' voice is going to be at full volume uh, and full majesty. Uh, You know, when when, uh, Gwen and I went three or four years ago to Niagara Falls, that, that verse came to mind, the sound of many waters. As I stood at the edge of Niagara Falls, you can hardly talk to the person next to you. The water is so loud as it rushes over that cliff and, and downward to the bottom. It is loud there. If you've been there, you know that's true. If you're riding on that little boat with your little rain suit on, you know it's loud down in that little canyon of water. Uh, and I think about that verse that it's, it, his voice is as loud as the sound of many waters. You know, I believe humanly Jesus had a loud voice. Uh, as Pastor Clyde taught me, a stentorian voice. Uh, any man who could address a crowd, uh, certainly he was on a boat, water is a great conductor of sound, but he had to have a mighty voice to preach to the multitudes on the shore. I believe that Jesus had a mighty human voice, but his voice in eternity is as, as mightier than the sound of many waters. It will drown out any other sound of eternity. When Jesus speaks, even those in the grave will hear his voice. That's how loud his voice is. Um, So when Jesus comes, when he speaks, this world is going to have one option and one option alone. When Jesus speaks, the world is going to listen. The world is going to hear him. Saved and unsaved alike, the world will hear his voice. Uh, There will be no choice for Christian, atheist, whoever might be listening. Everyone will hear him. Here's point number seven about the life of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus. It is in chapter 1, verse 16 of Revelation. He had in his right hand seven stars. 
That's a reference to the pastors of the seven churches to whom Jesus is writing. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Revelation 1.20 says this, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Uh, the word angel actually is the Greek word for messenger. Uh, I certainly don't consider myself angelic by any stretch but my prayer is that we who speak from uh, the pulpit or those who speak from a, a teaching point for children uh, through adults they are messengers of the gospel messengers of God's word but from the pulpit uh, the messenger of the pastor of the church is a very important part of the, the church body, the leaders of the church. And since God's angels have never, ever been shown in evidence to lead the church, that word refers to the messengers, the pastors of those seven churches. And it says the pastor, the true pastor, is in the hand of Jesus, protected, led, taught, and guided by him. But what an awesome thought to know we're in the hand of God, the right hand of strength. And as you and I serve him together, I believe that all of us are in his palm and that he takes care of us and he shelters us. Here's point number eight of the unveiling of Jesus Christ in Revelation. It is in chapter 1, verse 16. Out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. The two-edged sword is a symbol. It's a word picture. The, the sword has two jobs. This two-edged sword, one sharp edge, cuts to bless the saved, and the other edge of the sword cuts to judge the lost. Two edges, saved or lost. One edge cuts to bless, the other edge cuts to bleed, depending on where you stand with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Finally, point number nine. Also in verse 16 of chapter 1, His countenance was as the sun shineth in His strength. Jesus shines with the glory of God. We see that glimpse of his glory in the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. You'll see a glimpse of the glory in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 17. But John now sees Jesus in his bright and shining glory as ruler and king. And then uh, let's end with chapter 1, verse 17. Those are the nine points that we need to see in the unveiling of Jesus of Revelation. But ending with uh, verse 17, chapter 1, and John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John, the author of Revelation, was so comforted by Jesus when he walked this earth. You remember, John called himself, uh, he never calls himself by his name in his gospel. He always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Exactly right. He was the one who Jesus loved. He's the one who laid his head so comfortably on Jesus' chest uh, during that Passover meal from which the Lord's Supper was drawn, John chapter 13. But as he sees Jesus now, as he sees Jesus in his glorified state, his holiness, his glory, his purity, his splendor, he falls motionless in respect and honor before Jesus the Christ. 
So even John's countenance changes from the comfort of walking with the servant of God to the humility and the motionless holiness of coming before him as Savior and Judge and God and King. Well, I believe that's a picture the church needs to see. You know, too often we refer to God as the man upstairs or, or we, we take away from his glory. We need to see the glorified Jesus. Uh, we, we don't just picture Jesus as the meek and mild little servant uh, uh, letting a woman pour ointment on his feet. Certainly that's true. Holding children on his lap. Yes, that's true. But we need to see him as fiercely holy. That's the picture Revelation gives us, his holiness, and he's committed to love his people forever. So as we see the book of Revelation, we know that indeed it is the revelation of a Savior who loves us and gives us eternity. As we culminate this, this, uh, this study tonight with lesson number 32, God is faithful to his own. God loves us. God will preserve us for all eternity. But remember, we don't just bask in that comfort. But every day, saved person, when you and I get up, when we're believers in the Lord Jesus, the reason we wake up that day as a saved person, as a believer in Jesus Christ, is that we have the opportunity that day to take the gospel to somebody else. We have the bread of life, and we need to take it out to people who are hungry for the bread. Amen? So as we culminate this tonight, praise God for belief in him and knowing him, having eternity promised to us. But also, praise God that he commissions us to take that good news into the world about a Savior who loves us all and wants to save every single person. God bless you for being with us tonight. Those who are streaming with us, thank you for joining us all in this study, these 32 lessons. Uh, keep an eye on the website of Clifford Baptist Church. We'll let you know when the next series will be streamed out. We want you to join us there. But in the meantime, do join us on our website. Go to the Media tab, and you will find all kinds of resources, all kinds of the books of the Bible where you can learn. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, let's have a short word of prayer together. Lord God, thank you for this study that shows us, unveils to us, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we thank you, Father, for the picture that Revelation gives us. We see the picture of the servant Jesus in the Gospels, but we see the picture of the Savior, the risen one, the judge, the mighty, dazzling, glorious Jesus Christ that every believer one day, we will witness him, Lord, in that glory. We love you. We thank you, Lord. And we thank you that we belong to you, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our God. We thank you. We praise you in his name. Amen. And good night.